0: My audience are not an easy sell but what that's meant for me is I've had to really work so hard to understand actually apart from the impact I've seen this have on my own life and those I've taught how can I convey this and how can I really say with integrity that this does result
1: in this. Hello and welcome to Also in Pink, the podcast all about lifestyle design how we live, the clothes we choose, and how we organize our space. I'm your host, Alexandria Lawrence, a certified Conmari consultant and personal stylist. I'm here to guide you on your journey to live a happy, fulfilled life. Every Tuesday, you'll get new insight on what it means to live well, plus actionable tips. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life. Our guest today is mindfulness teacher Roya hekmat Roya is the mindfulness and yoga teacher behind all humanity. She is passionate about helping driven professionals to achieve success without sacrificing their well-being. So, is mindfulness just a buzzword or is it something with the power to transform our workplace and our lives? This episode has a lot of laughs and Roya will lead you on a lovely mindfulness grounding practice. Roya, welcome. It's so lovely to see you and thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's lovely to see you. I'm very excited. (laughs)
1: So am I. And it's been quite a while, almost exactly a year, hasn't it? And we met in rather surprising circumstances just before the pandemic hit the UK. So we both took a beauty makeup course at the London College of Style. And I think I can safely say this was an unexpected move for both of us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I couldn't have put it better myself. I think we were the anomalies in that setting
1: by a long shot. And I had recently trained as a a personal stylist and seasonal color consultant. And I took this beauty makeup course to add an extra element to sessions with clients. So I could do someone's colors, help them figure out what colors best complement their skin tone and help them discover a whole new world of color when it comes to clothing. And then offer makeup tips too, so the the whole package. And as you say, you and I had very little experience with makeup yeah. prior to that, so I think <laughs> we kind of bonded over that. I didn't think
0: we? we did. When when I was first given a model and a makeup brush, and I just said, "Well, what do I do?" And uh, you know it was all new to me. But I'm so glad I did it. I had a great week. As it turns out, it was our last week of fun before the pandemic really kicks in.
1: Oh, I know. And I think I told you this before, but the funny thing is I was so keen to to get started with this new venture and so completely oblivious to the pandemic just around the corner that I went out and got all my makeup supplies because I really didn't have anything. And then, of course, the pandemic hit the UK. (laughs) And I don't know if I told you, but um, Ben, my husband is is very kind and sweet and a good sport. And early on in the pandemic, he even let me curl his eyelashes.
0: Oh, bless him. I mean, that is the love we all need in our
1: lives. (laughs) I couldn't have put it better myself. (laughs) So mindfulness has been a buzzword for the past few years, and we're living in a kind of mindfulness revolution. We have mindfulness and meditation apps and we know we should try to live in the moment. <laughs> <what, laughs> try is being the keyword. I think that's spot on. But what is mindfulness beyond that? How can mindfulness benefit your life?
0: It becomes a way of life. So it's not an add on. It doesn't change who you are but it enables you to just be free from the problems you cause yourself. So I really think it's a very practical thing and it's a fundamental thing. We have really solid programs that are evidence-based. Meditation is a tool to cultivate mindfulness, which is essentially awareness. And when we know what's happening, as it's happening, we actually have an element of choice that comes in. So if we know that we're getting really stressed right now in this moment it's being able to say you know I'm I'm actually really riled right now or I'm really sad right now I'm really hungry and when you cultivate that awareness and you're able to see what's going on as it's going on I do have the option to say can we step away and let's pick this up in 10 minutes or let's pick this up tomorrow and and so it just enables us to act in a way that actually serves us better without you know, going away and then seething.
1: <laughs> yes. And I think that's the key thing being open to it, because the more intangible something is, the more we might be inclined to dismiss it, or think it's a fad. Or what do you say to people who see mindfulness as a bit woo woo?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I understand it, you know, and um... I think what's really helped is these programmes are evidence-based and the strongest evidence base you can get, which is a clinical, randomised, controlled trial. So the programmes are offered in our NHS as frontline interventions for things like recurrent depression. You can treat depression, but the problem is that it often happens again when the treatment stops. And so actually in trying to address that problem they developed these evidence-based mindfulness programs that actually work. My biggest thing is, I don't want you to have to suffer recurrent depression because anyone who has had depression, I myself have suffered extremely badly.
1: And is depression something you need to currently take any medication for or through mindfulness, are you able to treat it in that way?
0: This is really interesting. The medication debate, I do take medication. And I've actually had medical people say to me, why don't you fix it with the mindfulness? I think depression is one of those things that is just such a vast unknown. There are so many different causes. We have drugs that work. They don't actually know why they work. They have theories, but there are holes in the theories. So it's just such a massive unknown, and for me, there is still this unknown, but it's very clearly related to hormones. So nothing in my life changes. You know, it's not like when I feel this way, it's a result of an incident. It's very clearly like certain days in my cycle cause hormone surges, presumably, that affect the way I feel. And I have found a way to get help with that and I embrace that. So I think it's just such a personal thing. If you're experiencing depression as a result of certain patterns of thinking, which is very often the cause of it, and definitely contributed to mine, and that's why I'm able to manage it so well, then yes, you can manage it with, you know, exercise, with lifestyle, with mindfulness but it's just a very individual thing. And I would hate for anyone to feel that they failed if they need to rely on medication. It's there to help. You know, if you had a broken leg, you'd get a cast.
1: Yes, and that's such an important thing to say, really. So currently, if you go to the NHS, the national healthcare system we have in the UK, for something like depression, do they first approach it from a kind of clinical point of view and maybe find medication that works for you, but then will they naturally introduce something like mindfulness? Is that part of the kind of ecosystem yet, or is that maybe more in the future?
0: It's very much part of the current ecosystem. So everything we're seeing in the mainstream, where you said it's becoming a buzzword, is bleeding out of the clinical ecosystem. I think it was first offered in clinical settings in the 70s, So now if you go to your NHS, it is offered as an intervention on the front line to attend. It's called Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy. They've extended it to things like tinnitus, chronic pain, all sorts of conditions
1: that it benefits. That's extraordinary. I had no idea, actually. And I think... A lot of us, if we're just aware of mindfulness as the buzzword, it's easy to see it as more woo-woo and you don't get that evidence-based kind of clinical aspect. Do you have a criticism of your field, would you say, in terms of how a lot of people approach mindfulness?
0: It's such a tricky one because it's always the way that when something becomes really popular, it becomes a victim of that popularity. And... It can appear from the outside that how hard is it really to lead a meditation? I mean, the depth behind what is being done is completely missed. And I totally understand why that's the case, because if you don't know, why would you know? But in order to be credible and offer mindfulness with integrity and safely, because we are working with the mind, this is not something to almost dabble in with anyone. It's sort of the equivalent of like going to your local beauty parlor for, you know, Botox or whatever. And they're injecting your face and there are nerves and stuff in your face. You want someone who has had clinical training, (laughs) you know, this is not something to play around with. So it's a similar thing, but it's unregulated. There's reasons for that. It's very hard to regulate. You know, there are now registers to be on that register. You need to have met certain personal practice requirements, certain training requirements to signal that you really are someone who's trained, but there are so many people out there who haven't, and just claim they're a mindfulness teacher, so of course, depending on if the audience has no idea of the different things behind that, how are they going to know, and if they have a bad experience, of course you dismiss it.
1: Your target audience seems to be that ambitious professional, which is quite a fact-driven, results-driven sort of person. And as you describe mindfulness, I think you do present it in that way, but do you find it challenging to kind of get them in that world and present mindfulness in a way that resonates with them?
0: It's been a journey. <laughs> I've been thrown in at the deep end. I have been challenged as if I was on the witness stand. Um, really? Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, oh, oh. Especially in a clinical mindfulness space, people are really suffering they're suffering so much. And when you suffer to that degree, your motivation is so high. In this space I predominantly teach in, I think there is a lot of suffering, but it's not become conscious. And it's sort of all in these unconscious, maybe not very helpful behaviors like anger, like feeling like you're too busy all the time, just feeling this constant sense of pressure, but there's not that recognition that maybe there's a need for change. And so my audience are not an easy sell, but what that's meant for me is I've had to really work so hard to understand actually, apart from the impact I've seen this have on my own life and those I've taught, how can I convey this? And how can I really say with integrity that, this does result in this, you know, this cause and effect and and why is this beneficial to someone whose life is so busy? There's so much pressure on them. They don't have a lot of spare time. Why are they going to dedicate time to this? And so it has been tough. You know, I've had to build up over the years and each training I've done led me to have sort of this rock solid belief. And when new information emerges, I bring it in. Alexandria has kindly invited me to share with you a brief practice. The practice that we're about to do is a practice in grounding. And grounding simply means we know how to stabilize ourselves. So whatever life throws up, and it certainly can throw up a lot and has done over the last year for all of us, But whatever it might be, it might be a big life event or it might be the trials and tribulations that arise day to day. That rather than being completely knocked off course by them, we have a sense of stability within us. And we can cultivate that through these grounding practices, which are really simple. So this practice is called feet, seat and hands. And simply sitting in the chair that you're in. And if you're standing, maybe do take a seat for this practice. So taking a seat in a chair and then sitting in that chair, having both feet firmly planted on the floor. Have the hands resting in the lap or on the thighs, somewhere that feels comfortable for you. And have the spine, the back, self-supporting if it's possible to do so. So that might mean shuffling away from the backrest a little bit, an inch or so. And ever so slightly tilting the pelvis toward the thighs. And this means the small of your back, the curvature will ever so slightly increase. And this simply helps ensure that the weight is on the sitting bones and there's no strain or compression in the lower back. Imagine that the crown of your head is reaching toward the ceiling. And if it feels comfortable to do so, closing the eyes. If for any reason that doesn't feel comfortable, Simply lower the gaze to a fixed point on the floor, maybe an inch or two ahead of you. And we'll begin really simply by feeling the sensation in the balls of the feet in contact with the floor and in the heels of the feet in contact with the floor. And this might be as simple as a sense of pressure. Or it might be the sensation of your foot in your shoe or your slipper. The heat or coolness from the floor beneath. Maybe there are internal sensations present such as tingling or pulsing. We're not trying to find anything that's not there. We're not trying to induce sensation. Simply becoming aware of what you can feel in the soles of the feet right now. And if it is impossible to feel anything right now, simply registering that no sensation. And then coming up the legs past the knees to your sitting bones. I'm feeling the sensation in the sitting bones on the chair. Again, this might be as simple as the weight dropping down through the crown of the head, through the spine, into the sitting bones. There might be a sensation of softness if there's a cushion underneath or hardness. And then inviting you to rest the attention on the hands. And the hands are areas of huge sensation, especially the fingertips. And again, simply noticing any sensation you can feel right now. Maybe it's the warmth of your own touch. Maybe it's a sense of pressure of the hands resting on the thighs or a tingling or pulsating in the fingertips. And these three points, the soles of the feet on the floor, the sitting bones in contact with the chair, the hands resting in the lap or on the legs. These three points are being drawn down by gravity, they're grounding us, they're connecting us. And they're points of clarity in the body that are always available to us. They're available to us to return to throughout our practices and throughout our days. And gently as we start to draw the practice to a close, having the sense of the whole of you sitting here in this chair, all the way from the tips of your toes to the crown of your head, firmly in contact with the support beneath, the whole breathing being. And perhaps lifting the gaze or gently opening the eyes. Maybe you need to stretch or yawn or stand up. And just being gentle as you move out of this mode and step back into the rest of your day.
1: Venturing out of that safe, in many ways, corporate world and deciding to start your own business is incredibly exciting, but there is so much to do. How do you avoid burnout when you're running your own business?
0: It's a funny one because my business has very naturally organically emerged. I was a chartered accountant in a big financial services firm. I didn't just decide, oh, let me become a mindfulness teacher. It was as a result of learning how to look after myself. And what does it mean on a practical level? It means I'm going slower than I want to. Honestly, I'm not progressing at the speed I would like to, but recognizing my own limitations and honoring those. That is the choice, the choice that maybe we don't like because there's an element of sacrifice in it, but it is just accepting that maybe one day wasn't as productive as I'd have liked it to have been. I mean, you'll know this, you're in it in the arena doing it on your own. It's such a mindset thing. You don't necessarily see immediate results. There's no external pats on the backs, bonuses, job titles. <laughs> I think that's part also of what keeps me going. Like I love that variety, but there is no there's no magic. It's a learning process and a day-by-day process.
1: It definitely is. And then you have that element of wild entrepreneurial hope, I guess, that keeps you going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's, I mean, it's swinging from, you know, hope to absolute despair and somehow managing to be okay with those swings. You've got to laugh at your own folly, your own bravery, your own mistakes. And sometimes that can be hard to do.
1: And I completely relate to everything you've said, especially about pacing yourself. I think honestly, that's something I struggle with since I have these goals that I really desperately want to meet in many ways. And, you know, part of having the podcast as well, you have weekly goals, lots of things to do, but I'm sure it would be healthier for me as well to try to take that step back when I can.
0: And it's just such a personal thing, like your energy levels and your reserves may simply naturally be at a higher level than mine and would i love to have higher and more steady energy 100% you know but i think it's recognizing that in my case i don't so if i was in the position to push harder without crashing i would definitely do it so it's there's no right or wrong or judgment in whatever way you choose and also there's a lot to be said for momentum and i think you have You've got that one right, haven't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, for for better or worse. <laughs> so let's talk more about your new venture then. Your new business, All Humanity, provides ambitious professionals with the knowledge, skills, and community to reach their potential without sacrificing their well being. And even if they have demanding careers, so to be well and stay well through mindfulness, as you say, which sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about what it looks like in practice.
0: It is about going into these institutions, working with them from the inside and working in collaboration. And, you know, some firms, some industries, especially, are intentionally set up to be brutal. It's, it's actually part of their model. And so I think with those, It's not the time. They would have to want me there. I'm looking very much for people who may not be getting it right, but who want to be getting it right. And from there, we can build this really strong case that, you know what, these things happened as a result of this program, because that becomes incredibly compelling. And we know these things can happen. We know people will essentially be happier and healthier. And with that, you will get all the knock on effects. So that's where the focus is now. It's on building these relationships with large employers to really embed these programs within their organizations, not just to turn up, deliver and out, but to put people through a full program to offer follow up services, you know, continuing classes that they can attend to put it into policy. So as part of that, I offer the training program. So we go in, we literally deliver an evidence-based training to the staff, but we also offer consultancy. You know, that's just an umbrella to say, let's have a conversation and let's think about how we can improve things. Actually, there's evidence to say that six days might actually increase, but they'll increase for emotional, mental health reasons. Ultimately, my aim is for the individuals who go through the programs Not have a reliance on anyone else, including myself. So, yes, I will be there to give them the knowledge they need to do the basic training. But I believe fully once that's embedded, it becomes self sustaining and you can do that internally. That's the aim. That
1: sounds fantastic. Watch this space. I look forward to seeing what happens. Absolutely. Well, hello. Can I just say thank you? Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, it would mean the world to me if you'd rate and review also in pink. I'll make it super easy for you, and you can even win a prize. Submit your review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for a chance to win a 20-minute one-to-one virtual coaching session with me. Pick my brain about life, KonMari, or style. I'll announce the monthly winner on each Ask Alexandria episode, So be sure to listen out to see if your review gets picked. All you need to do is go to ratethispodcast.com slash also in pink and rate and review the show. Want tips on how to win? Write something genuine. Be thoughtful and let your personality shine through. Bonus points for a dash of charm. And for your weekly dose of podcast joy, subscribe to Also in Pink so you never miss a show. Thank you so much. You really are a star. And failure, of course, is something that we all have to deal with in various times throughout our lives. And it can be a positive thing as well. And I think that's probably how a lot of entrepreneurs view it. So it helps you learn and grow. And... Yeah. Do you have a personal experience you'd like to tell us about and maybe how mindfulness helped you navigate a failure?
0: This is such an interesting topic, failure in general, and my relationship to it has changed so much over time and it's had to, or I would just be, you know, a puddle on the floor. Uh, (laughs) But now I almost don't have a concept of failure. I truly I'm not saying this as some nice, pithy thing. I only see it as learning, and I have cringed (laughs) over the processes of learning. For me, comparisons, that's where I've got to be careful, because of where I began, because of my background. I've got a lot of very successful people around me, so it it highlights the differences of where you are in your journey.
1: I love that concept of failure, not being a word as we understand it conventionally as well. I think that's the way to uh, health and happiness, really. As a mindfulness teacher, how would you describe your personal style? I mean, you're looking very jazzy today, I would say. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you go for more of a corporate look? Do you try to mirror the people you're dealing with?
0: I absolutely do. And I think that's really important because people are receptive to people who look like them. And so, you know, I'm a free spirit, I'm a loony inside, I can put on a good charade. <laughs> but I probably do need some Alexandria in my life. I don't think I've ever nailed my personal style. I've never been someone who wants to be at, you know, keeping up with the latest fashion, but I really enjoy looking good. And there's work to be done. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, the beauty of personal style, I think, is finding what's really right for you. So it won't be, you know, keeping up with current fashion or having those bold statements for everyone. In fact, that's the way probably to a lot of heartbreak and (laughs) disappointment. So would you say that you have a vision for what your ideal life looks like?
0: This is such an interesting question. So I don't have a vision in terms of exact things like where my house needs to be or what my job needs to look like. But without a doubt, my ideal life is alongside a partner who is my best friend. So for me, it's about the love. That's what makes it all worthwhile.
1: That sounds wonderful. It does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It will come to you. It will. Current vacancy accepting applications. (laughs) I love
1: it. So, would you say you have a top tip for living well? Something listeners can take away with them and apply in their own lives? I think this will come as
0: no surprise that I am going to say my top tip to living well is to learn these fundamental skills that do fall under the header of mindfulness, but can be learned in different ways. So, just essentially understand how your mind works, understand why we respond to certain events and situations and emotions in certain ways because that will free you in itself just from understanding that you don't need to identify with that if mindfulness is not for you for whatever reason there will be other ways you know you want your mind to be working with you not against you and I think that they say your mind is an excellent servant but a terrible master and you want it to be serving you you don't want to be working against it there's only so far willpower can take you and and it's exhausting to use willpower to do everything so that would be my top tip because it's going to serve you to your dying breath and it's going to make life more joyful along the way.
1: And what's the best way for listeners to connect with you and have a bit more Roya in their lives?
0: Oh, I would love that. I love to connect with people. And Find me on LinkedIn, that's pretty much where I live. So my surname is absurdly long. So I think my LinkedIn handle is Royal Mindfulness. And you can find our company page on LinkedIn, which is all humanity. I am on the other channels, as you'd expect, but the majority of our activity lives on LinkedIn.
1: And how about for people who aren't in the entrepreneurial world, who aren't companies you would actually help? How would the everyday person start to effectively learn how to use mindfulness in their life?
0: Well, we do cater to individuals, we cater to both. So we're due to launch very shortly. The website is there, it's got full course listings. We've got great teachers, we've got classes. So if there is an area of interest there, head to the website see what calls you you know and there's a kind of level for everyone all are welcome and all is welcome
1: so now we've come to the finale so i have a few quick fire questions to end the show i feel feel like i need a buzzer (laughs) slap that buzzer so what's your most treasured possession and of course no judgment
0: it's a diary i wrote i went to live and work in kenya it was Even before digital cameras, I love to write and I diarised every day. And so it's just such a special thing. And I always think if the house was on fire, that is the thing I would save because they're just such treasured memories.
1: That's a great way of figuring out what you truly value. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What would you go rescue if your house was on fire?
0: Exactly. And and please note, I don't have kids. So obviously if I had a child (laughs) or a dog... I would pick them before the diary. But uh,
1: <laughs> and so, what's your favourite article of clothing or accessory in your current wardrobe?
0: I can just about fit in what I'm wearing. Everything else is uh, the size has changed. I've got pandemic hips. Yeah, they're now under many layers of dairy milk and apple crumble. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the thing I most treasure actually is I've, I've just uh, extended my middle finger to Alexandria, but it's to show her my opal ring, which is called, and I know you'll appreciate this, my retirement ring.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that.
0: So I was gifted it on the day that I left my career behind as a retirement ring. and I really love it. It's a beautiful opal. So,
1: Oh, I can hugely appreciate that as I retired as well at the age of... Yeah, 34 or something. Yeah, you know,
0: I was delighted. I was like, I don't know anyone else in our age bracket who's had a retirement <laughs> party. I've
1: already had two. <laughs> so it's never too early, everyone out there. You can <laughs> retire as young as you Remember, like. Remember, it's a choice. It comes with sacrifices. <laughs> and where do you go to get inspired? I
0: read currently The Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama. It's very uplifting. But books, yeah, they seem to always lift me. And I feel excited again, you know, about my own ideas.
1: And what's one specific book or resource that you'd recommend for everyone?
0: I'm going to maybe say it the wrong way around, but The Mole, The Fox, The Boy and The Horse. No, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. Is that right? I'm not sure, but it sounds good. It's just a must read. So you could read it in 20 minutes. It will change your life. You will reread it and it should be a must have in every household.
1: Oh, that sounds fantastic. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, here's a very KonMari question for you. So what are you grateful for?
0: My mum. My mom is my best friend. And yeah, I do often wake up and think, I'm thankful she's in my life.
1: And finally, what do you love most about life?
0: If you haven't guessed already, love. And connection is absolutely what sustains me feeling connected to others. And, you know, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So that I think, you know, there's an absolute deficit out there of human connection. We're all feeling it. There's so much loneliness and there's just so much joy to be had from its opposite. So connection.
1: Yes. And connection really is the key to happiness and joy in your daily life. So Roya, it's been such a huge pleasure chatting with you about all these things, mindfulness, connection, awareness, retiring early. (laughs) I love it all. (laughs) Kindred
0: spirits. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure connecting with you. I've enjoyed it ever so much. I've enjoyed laughing. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that chat with mindfulness teacher Roya Hekmatpanna. Be sure to check out All Humanity, her new business, which is about to launch. All very exciting. So here are some key takeaways from our conversation. Mindfulness is a way of life, and it goes beyond the buzzword. There's a solid evidence base that mindfulness can very much aid you and even bring joy to your life. It helps you see clearly, to know what's happening as it's happening, and it can support your mental health. Most importantly, we can all learn to better look after ourselves. Have you been experiencing any of the things we talked about in this episode? Such as, do you feel a constant sense of pressure or feel like you're too busy all the time? Do you have angry outbursts and retreat somewhere to seethe for a while? These could all be signs that something needs to change. And change is always possible. That's our show then. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Alexandria and this is Also in Pink, the podcast all about lifestyle design. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to Also in Pink wherever you get your podcasts. And the absolute best way to show your support is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. This really helps more than anything to promote the show. And of course, tell all your friends. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life.